Good morning, everyone. As you all can tell, I am not David. As Dolly said, he is up in Boston and he is running the Boston Marathon tomorrow. So he's up there getting ready for that. Um, I want to tell you all a little bit about my weekend to start because I may need your all's help at some point throughout the service. Um, on Friday night, we had our high school lock-in where we got to stay up all night with some of our awesome high school students. And you know it was a great lock-in because we put a hole in the wall in the hallway over there. So that's how you know that it was a success. And then yesterday, after getting 37 minutes of sleep at home, I drove up to Indy for a rugby tournament all day. So I'm running on really little sleep right now. So if we're praying at some point throughout the service and we've said amen and I've still kind of got my head down, maybe just like give me a little nudge or something to make sure I'm still ready to go. Um, and also after the 8.30 service this morning, somebody came up to me and said that I talked too fast and I swayed too much. And I blame that on the four Red Bulls I've already had this morning to make sure I'm here right now. So you're going to need to give me a little bit of grace with that. But since Easter, we have been in a series called Hope Rising. And each week we've had a little tagline that says, when life makes faith difficult. And then each week we've been replacing that word life with something else. So last week we did when the past makes faith difficult. And next week we're doing when doubt makes faith difficult. So in preparation for this sermon, as David and I were talking, he asked me, what's one of the biggest stumbling blocks in faith? What's one of the biggest things that prevents people from living a fuller faith? And my answer to that is where our sermon title comes from today. And it's when belief makes faith difficult. So the sort of big question that I want you all to think about as we enter into our biblical story is this. What beliefs do you have that are preventing you from living a fuller faith? And I want to be clear about what we're talking about here because I know the wording can be confusing. So I'm going to say the question again, but in a different way. What beliefs have you held on to that no longer line up with the God that you have come to know? What beliefs do you hold on to that don't match your experiences with God? And as you think about that, I want us to look at one of my favorite biblical stories, and it's the story of Jonah. Now, the whole book of Jonah is only four chapters long. And so today, instead of us putting something on the screen and reading a chapter of it or something like that, I'm just going to walk us through the whole narrative of the story. But before I do that, there's something that we need to get out of the way about this story. Because there's something in this story that often becomes a huge stumbling block for people. And that's the part of the story that we are all the most familiar with. The part about Jonah getting eaten by a fish. So one of the biggest problems for people as they look at this story of Jonah is they get hung up on this middle portion. And people usually have one of two approaches to this. People hear the book of Jonah and they immediately go to the idea that there is no truth to this story. Jonah did not get eaten by a fish. Don't, Jonah did not live inside the belly of a fish. That's ridiculous and impossible. And because of that, they just toss the book out. And the other response that people have is they often think the Bible says it, so it's true, and they immediately just start to defend the realness of this book at all costs. We end up making the fish a very convenient distraction from what the text is actually saying. But today I'm going to give us a third option of a way to think about it. And although it does take up a big chunk of 
the text that we're talking about it, there is a new way to think about it. It's revolutionary, so I need you all to stay with me. And it's simply, who cares? It's not important to the story. So today as we talk about the story, I need you all to not think about the fish. Deal? Deal? Deal. Okay, good. This is important. So the story goes like this. God came to Jonah and God told Jonah to go to Nineveh and to preach against the city because of how wicked it was. Now there's a little history that we need to know before we keep going. And it's that Jonah's people were the people of ancient Israel. And those people had an enemy. And that enemy was Assyria. Assyria had dominated most of Israel. They took their wealth. They occupied their lands. They made them pay tribute to them. If you're a Hunger Games fan, just imagine the capital in District 12. That was kind of the dynamic that was going on. And the capital of Assyria was Nineveh. So you can imagine what thoughts Jonah may have had about the people of Nineveh. His whole life, he probably heard stories about how bad they were. He probably heard stories about what those people had done to his people, what they had done to his own family. If you grew up a UK fan, you were taught to hate UofL. If you grew up a UofL fan, you were taught to hate UK. And if you were a UofL or a UK fan, you grew up, you were taught to hate Duke. <laughs> That's just the way it was. So imagine that hate, but like times a thousand. He probably believed wholeheartedly that these people were evil and that they were criminals and there was nothing good about them. So imagine that for a second. God comes to you and tells you to go out and preach against how evil your enemies are. God comes down and says, hey, Corey, you know all those people that you don't like? Those people that hurt kids or that shoot up schools or those people that systematically oppress others and only care about their own gain and nobody else's? Well, you know what? I think those people are bad too. So you should go tell those people that they're evil for me. I'd be like, yeah, God. I'd be honored to go do that for you. I'd probably tweet about it. I'd make some posters. I'd have a super sarcastic Facebook status of some kind. I'd be all about that life. So it's kind of weird that Jonah doesn't jump at the chance to do this. And I want you all to remember this part because in chapter 1, it does not tell us why Jonah didn't go. It just simply says that Jonah went the other direction. He left. He ran away. He got on a boat. God sent a storm, and that led to the part we're ignoring. And then all of chapter 2 is Jonah praying. So after Jonah was done embarking on his journey with the world's worst public transportation system, God came to Jonah again, and he says, Go to Nineveh and do what I asked you to do. So a very begrudging Jonah said, Fine. And he went to Nineveh. And he preached about how in 40 days God was going to rain down all this terror on them for their wickedness. And guess what happened? A line out of a, straight from a storybook of a teacher. Everybody listened. They dressed in sackcloth. They started to fast. The king even issued a decree to everybody to stop all of the wickedness and to stop all of the violence because they did not want God to punish them. And guess what God did? God forgave them. God did not bring the destruction that he had talked about. God showed mercy and showed compassion to them. And as we move into chapter 4, this is one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. The start of chapter 4 answers our unanswered question, 
in chapter 1 on why Jonah said no. Jonah said, this is why I didn't want to do this. I knew that you were gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Jonah's saying, yeah, God, that's why I didn't want to do this stupid mission in the first place. I knew you weren't going to bring the destruction that you talked about. I knew you weren't going to condemn them for how wicked they were. I knew that you were going to love them instead. And here's one of my favorite lines that anybody that has raised a teenager can relate to. In drama queen fashion, Jonah says, I would rather die than my enemies be spared. So then Jonah goes out and he sits in a field where the sun was pounding on him and it was hot. God then sent a tree out of nowhere to shade Jonah from the sun. After a day, God sent a worm that ate the tree and destroyed the tree. So Jonah was just sitting there again in the pounding sun. That's hilarious, y'all. God clearly has some kind of a sense of humor. And God said, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And the book concludes with what we're going to put on the screen. It concludes with this. You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang overnight and it died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh that has over 120,000 people? And that's how the story ends. Now, whenever you read a biblical story, any story, it's good practice to do a couple things. One of those things you're supposed to do is you're supposed to ask yourself questions about the text. And one of those questions is, why did someone find this important enough to put it in the Bible? Why is this story still around? Who thought this was a good idea? And why did they think that this was worthy of us to remember? And I think the answer to that is I think that this book was made to challenge beliefs. You have Jonah, who is a character representing the Hebrew people in the way of thinking at the time. They had a certain belief about a group of people, a belief of who God's love was for. And they were beliefs that they held onto so tightly they could not let go of them. So this story is starting to serve as a corrective for the way of thinking. But faith is a tricky thing because like Jonah, to some extent, we all inherit our faith. For most people, we come to faith because we were born into it. We went to church as a kid and we went to VBS. We are taught things from our parents that we grow up to hold close to our hearts. And these lessons that we learn are often informed by our parents' upbringing or our parents' pastors and church leaders, our parents' life experiences. And then we are given this faith through our childhood, and we leave home holding on to a faith that was never really ours to begin with. Then inevitably something happens, and it doesn't line up with what we believe. Maybe we meet a person who our whole life we have been told is bad, and despite what we think, they aren't actually that bad. Or maybe something tragic happens in our family and we are forced to deal head on with human suffering. And suddenly a God that seemed in control doesn't seem like he's doing his job very well. Or maybe science starts chipping away at things that you thought were solid. Or maybe you meet someone of a different faith and then you realize they're actually more Christian than you are. And when these things happen, we often do one of two things. The first thing that we do is we try to figure out how our way of thinking is still right, despite the feeling that we may be a little bit wrong. 
We reduce our faith down to nothing more than century duty, patrolling the shores, looking to fight off anything that may say something different. We tighten our clinch on our belief system, and we ignore all the questions and all the challenges as we move forward. We work to defend our certainty at all cost. We end up trying to pigeonhole God and to squeeze God into a belief system. The second option is that we decide that this faith that we have just doesn't make sense anymore. So we throw it away. We toss it out the window. And we then work becoming one of those soldiers attacking the now ridiculous certainty of others. I think both of those responses are wrong. If your beliefs are no longer matching up with your experiences in life and your experiences with God, then maybe your God is just a little too small. And if that's the case, then we need to be okay with letting go of the beliefs that we are holding on to and instead move into a deeper understanding of the divine. Muhammad Ali had a quote that said, If a man looks at the world when he is 50, the same way he looked at it when he was 20, and it hasn't changed, then he wasted 30 years of his life. And I think this is true in all aspects. We don't want to make the same decisions we did when we were a kid. We don't want to talk the same way we did when we were a kid. We don't want to eat the same food that we did when we were a kid. We don't even want to have the same dreams that we had when we were a kid. When I was a kid, I wanted to grow up to be a blue crown, like the coloring crown. Some of you all may say crayon, but you all are wrong. (laughs) For starters, I don't like the color blue. And secondly, in our current economic system, there is no reason for anybody to be a crown. So I'm glad that I let go of that idea from my life. And I think that we would all in some some way agree with Muhammad Ali that we don't want to stay the same. But for some reason, we tend to have the opposite thought on faith. We often think that the beliefs that we were given as a kid should never change. These views that we had at 10 and at 12 should be fought for and should never falter no matter what. So why is it that we believe we should grow in every other way, but not in our beliefs? And I don't think that's healthy, because that's not how life works. A recent survey asked people, what issue will not go away that makes you wonder why you keep believing in God at all? The top five most common answers all dealt with personal suffering and how the God that they believed in didn't make sense anymore. The last time I preached, I told you all, I told the story about my friend Ryan who passed away in a car wreck this past summer. See, I grew up with a God that controlled all things and was accountable for every single thing that happened. As if God was some kind of divine puppet master sitting on a cloud somewhere pulling the strings of life. A God that rewarded the good and that punished the bad. A God who had order and who had structure. But suddenly, in the blink of an eye, none of those things added up anymore. None of them made sense. God didn't seem so good. God didn't seem so in control. God did not give Ryan or his wife the blessings in their life that they deserved. God took a person that represented the best of what humanity could offer and dealt him and his wife the worst of punishments. But you can find those examples all over the world. When these experiences in life happen, and the beliefs that you have held on to for so long don't make sense anymore, it feels like your faith is crumbling and it can be scary. 
Without the certainty, we can feel as though our faith is on life support at best or dead at worst. When these beliefs and our certainty is challenged, it feels as though something close to us is dying. But isn't that the Easter story that we've been talking about for the last three weeks? That even though something can feel like death, there is hope on Sunday? That sometimes things die and we must enter into the mystery of Saturday and not knowing what comes next? And if you are in that place of mystery right now, in a belief system that feels like it is dying, I want to affirm you and tell you that is okay. It is okay to be in that place. I want to affirm you that Sunday is coming. And a faith that does not try to condense the God that made me and made you and made the mountains and made the ocean down to something that will fit inside of a Dixie cup is so much more rewarding. I want to tell you that faith is not belief, but faith is trust. Hope is rising as we journey through this process and as we start to loosen our grip on the beliefs that once defined our faith. Hope is rising as we come to know a God that is bigger than a set of beliefs. Jonah said he would rather die than grow in his faith. Grow into a faith that was uncomfortable for him that loved even his worst enemies. And when we choose to hold on to these beliefs that do not line up with the God that extends a hand to the people of Nineveh, then we are missing out on the faith that God has called us to. As I said earlier, Jonah is a book that is challenging other stories in the Old Testament. The Bible is challenging itself through this story. The story that we reduce down to a fish and the practicality of living underwater is asking us to expand our beliefs. It is asking us what right we have to think that God thinks the exact same way that we do. What right do we have to think that God looks like us or is the same race as us, speaks the same language as us, is the same gender as us, that votes the same way as us? And asking these questions are hard. It's so hard that Jonah said he would rather die than deal with any of that. Some people say that the gospel is the worst possible good news. Because it is only good news if it is good news for everybody. Even the people of Nineveh and the countless people we may consider our enemies. And that don't fit into our belief system. So what beliefs do you have that are holding you back from a fuller faith? What beliefs are you holding on to that no longer line up with the God that you have come to know? I want to tell you that it's okay. It's okay to let go of some of those beliefs and lean into the faith that God is calling you to. It is okay to have questions and to be uncertain. It is okay to deconstruct some of those beliefs from your childhood and let a faith begin to grow. Now, the book of Jonah doesn't tell us what happened at the end. It just leaves us with a question from God asking, and should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh that has over 120,000 people? And that question, it's still open-ended today. Will you let go of the beliefs that are holding you back? And will you allow God to be God? 